The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Well, I did grow up in Florida on the Gulf Coast, and I think I shared, if you were here yesterday, I met Pastor Ray in 1983, and I had already been to Bible College Seminary and was involved in ministry, but he introduced me to Calvary Chapels. Now, a little bit of my story is I grew up there on the Gulf Coast, and at the age of 13, my parents divorced, which was a huge deal in my life. My father, who was uh, very stern and uh, I would even say abusive, he he would hit my brother and me. We were kind of glad to see him go. And we, I was 13, my older brother was 16, and we found surfing, and we poured ourselves into it. And by the time I was 16, I was so intelligent and so smart that I dropped out of high school. (laughs) And I thought, why would a surfer need high school? So my mom, who was a single mom at that time and kind of struggling, and we were like, financially really struggling, and, and I, was, I was 13. And so I remember asking my mom one time, I, I said, Mom, why aren't we rich? Why, why are we poor? And my mom, who was she, was, she was pretty smart, and she said, well, you know, John, it's because we're good looking and you can't be both. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll, I'll take that. But at 16, Dropped out of high school, my brother and I, my brother was really going places in the surfing industry on the Gulf Coast and East Coast, and so we started surfing for a company called Greg Knoll Surfboards, and we did a surf thing from, I guess I, by the time I was 16, from Miami to Maine, repping for Greg all up and down the East Coast, and then by the time I was 18, I got radically saved. Just the Lord... Uh, I was reading a Bible my brother gave me, started attending a church, got saved, and decided, you know, what I need to do is go back to high school because I had broken my mom's heart when I dropped out. So I went back to high school. Next thing I know, the pastor had taken a big interest in me in the church I was going to, and he encouraged me to go to Bible college. I did, and from there, I, I met my wife, and from there, we, we got married, and in 1977, we packed everything up in this little town called Gulf Breeze, where I'm from, and we moved to Kansas City, Missouri, where I went to a seminary, got out of seminary, and it was two years after that, I came out to San Diego and ma- met your pastor, Ray, and we became um, lifelong friends, and it is Strange for me, and I'm sure it is for you, for me to be in San Diego and not be hanging out with Ray. Because usually if I was here at this service, afterwards he goes, so John, uh, do do you like Chick-fil-A or Taco Bell or, you know, and he always had to go through the drive-through and then we'd head to his house. Well, that's my introduction, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we can open your word here tonight. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would refresh, that you would strengthen, that you would continue the work that you have begun in each of us. Fashion and shape us and continue to mold us into your image. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
a troubled heart, question mark. In the Gospel of John, if you have a Bible, go with me to the 14th chapter. The 14th chapter, we have these comforting words from Jesus where he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now you read those words and then you think about the world that we live in, our culture today. I mean, what could trouble your heart in a culture like this? Worldwide pandemic, drug addiction off the charts, federal budget nightmares, climate change real or unreal, racism, illegal immigration, terrorism, gender confusion, human trafficking, nuclear threats, teen suicide, mass murder, shootings. I mean, how could you possibly have a troubled heart, right? But Jesus says, and it kind of bounces around in our mind, let not your heart be troubled. It kind of echoes as you realize these are the words of Jesus. And you think, well, well, Jesus, how does that work? And even if you look down to verse 27, there in the same chapter of the Gospel of John, it says, peace I leave, leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your heart be troubled. He says it again, neither let it be afraid. Now, the word heart is a singular word. And so he's talking to, to you, he's talking to me, he's talking to us individually. Don't, don't let your heart, your specific, this specific individual, don't let your heart be overwhelmed with concern. And he says, this is how, you, you can believe in God and you can also believe in me. Or we could put it this way, trust God, the Father, and trust me, Jesus says. And what Jesus is really saying is that you and I can go through life and there's going to be trouble. But he says, you can believe in me, you can trust in me. And you have to ask the question, well, is he really saying that I will never freak out, that I'll never get disturbed, I'll never get upset, that I'll, I'll never worry? Well... I want you to just stay with me and listen. In John chapter 11, we have a story of a good friend of Jesus who's died. His name is Lazarus. His sisters, Mary and Martha, Jesus spent time with the whole family many times. They lived in Bethany and he would, he would hang there with them. And, and listen to part of the story there in, in chapter 11, uh, verse 31. You know, we have the, the, a verse up on the screen, and it says, Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforted her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out and followed, saying, She's going to tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in his spirit, and he was troubled. Jesus had a troubled heart. But yet here in the 14th chapter, he tells us not to have a troubled heart. It's, it's the same exact Greek word. And I, th I think 
that what this passage tells us, well, certainly this passage, it has to do with Lazarus, is that death is troubling. It, it, it creates all kinds of troubling thoughts and disturbing things in our heart and our mind. And Jesus, who is our high priest, is touched by that, by our infirmities. When we lose a close friend, a loved one, a pastor, a husband, a father, we can go to the Lord and, and he knows he understands. I mean, he wept at Lazarus' tombs. He knows what it's like to have a troubled heart. He was disturbed inside. And this is, this is the thing. Death is troubling. It's disturbing. It, it, it creates a lot of unrest. And in chapter 12 of John, when Jesus is facing the cross, and he's telling his closest followers about laying down his life, there in John chapter 12, verse 27, we have this, now my soul is troubled. There's our word. Same word, let not your heart be troubled. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say, Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I came. Jesus has a, has a troubled heart over the situation with Lazarus. He has a troubled heart as he's looking forward to the suffering that he's gonna go through at the cross. He knows what lies ahead, listen. Jesus knew what was ahead of him, and he was troubled. There are times when you and I know what lies ahead of us, what's around the corner. Maybe you're in a situation right now with a loved one or, or, or an issue that's going on, and you kind of know what the end of the game's going to look like. And, and it's troubling. There, there's going to occur in your life, in my life, loss, hardship, pain, physical and emotional, it happens. And Jesus knows what it's like to face a life event, a future experience that's filled with trouble, that's filled with hurt, that's filled with sorrow, so we can go to him. He identifies. He, he gives grace. He gives comfort. He gives help in our time of need. In chapter 13, Jesus is at the Passover, the Last Supper with his men. And in verse 21 of chapter 13 of John, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Chapter 11, chapter 12, Chapter 13, before we get to 14, where he says, let not your heart be troubled, three times Jesus has a troubled heart. This time, it's over someone who is going to betray him. He, he, was, he was disturbed, agitated about the fact that one of his closest friends, one of those who walked with him for all those years, was about to betray him. In fact, I'll read from Psalm 41. There was also a prophecy about that in verse 9. It says, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus was troubled 
He was hurt. He was disturbed. He loved Judas. And Judas was about to betray him. Jesus was troubled by betrayal. And in this life, there's betrayal. There's betrayal in marriage. There's betrayal by a close friend, maybe by a business partner, a relative, and it's extremely troubling and it's extremely hurtful. And then we have in John chapter 14, Jesus saying, but let not your heart be troubled. And he's speaking about a troubled heart in a, in a different perspective. L listen, l l tune into this. He's, he's, he's speaking about a troubled heart in a different context. In, in this context, he's not talking about the death of a friend. He's not talking about a, a future event of suffering or a betrayal or all the crazy things in the world that can bring trouble. Here he's talking about in John chapter 14, if you're in that chapter with me, he's talking about the Father's house. He's talking about heaven. Here's what Jesus is saying here about a troubled heart in John 14. He says, things will come your way. You're going to have trouble. But when it comes to heaven, when it comes to my father's house, don't be troubled about that. He says, you believe in God? You trust him? Well, trust me too. In my father's house are, verse 2, many mansions, many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Basically, Jesus is saying this. Look, yeah, there's going to be some trouble. But as far as heaven is concerned, as far as my father's house is concerned, if it weren't real, if it, was, if it wasn't there, if God the Father and his heaven were not true, I would tell you, he says, I would not let you have a false hope or some kind of delusion about heaven. I wouldn't give you a false expectation. If heaven were a fairy tale, Jesus is saying, I would be the first to let you know. So as if you have any concern or troubled heart about what happens when you die, he says, let me assure you that in my Father's house are many dwelling places. So, so let me stop there for just a moment and just say this. Heaven is real. Amen? And Pastor Ray Bentley's there. I bet he already knows where the Ark of the Covenant is hidden. He's been asking questions. He's there, raised in heaven. I'm sure he's doing his Billy Graham impersonation for Billy Graham, because Billy Graham's in heaven. He says, Chuck Smith's there. My brother's there. My sister's there. My mom's there. But most importantly, Jesus is there. And he's told us, there's a place that you don't have to worry about. If it were no heaven, I would tell you, he said. And I pray that you know tonight for sure that one day you will be there. Because in John chapter 20, we have a, a great verse where John describes why he wrote his gospel. 
He says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There's a heaven, and you can go there. Jesus put something wonderful and amazing here before us. In John chapter 14, he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Our world has all kinds of trouble. But he begins to tell us about heaven. And John, the the writer of this gospel, who also wrote there while he was exiled on the island of Patmos, he wrote the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says this about what's not in heaven. In Revelation 21, verse 3 through 4, there's, there's this powerful understanding. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them. And he says, there's no tears in heaven. Isn't that awesome? There's no tears in heaven. I'll wipe them away. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. The former things have passed away. And here's the wonderful thing about that. There is a heaven. And there's no crying there. There's no crying in heaven, right? There's no crying there. Heaven has no death. Heaven has no suffering. Heaven has no pain. God reigns, and it is shalom. The word shalom means peace, but it also really means this, everything as God intended it to be. That's what's there. I don't believe you and I are hardwired to deal with death. I don't think we're created for it. It's part of the curse. It's part of the fall. It's part of the consequences of sin. God's original plan was not death. It was life. But betrayal brought about suffering and trouble. It's a fallen world, and our hearts are troubled when we lose someone. But in regards to heaven, our heart, not the physical organ that beats, but but that deep, place in our life, in our spirit. Jesus says, because of heaven and knowing it's real, you don't have to be troubled about that. Listen to these verses again. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, There you may be also. He says he's coming. There is a second coming of Jesus Christ. And he's preparing a place. And he said, I will come personally. I will come back because you are my bride. I mean, how many of you here are married? Anybody? Would you admit it, that you're married? Okay, quite a few of you. On your wedding day. 
You probably didn't call your best buddy Fred or Larry or your best girlfriend Jane and say, hey, can you meet so-and-so at the church? I'm kind of busy, I'm working late, and stand in for me at the altar. I'll see her at the reception. Maybe I'll catch up with her at the honeymoon. I don't think you did. You were there, right? Jesus says, listen to what he says. I will come again and receive you to myself. You're my bride. I'm not going to send an angel. I'm not going to send anyone else. I'm the one who's coming. Heaven is our destination, our expectation, our inheritance, the kingdom of our Lord, the city of our king. And, but the, the most important thing and the way that Jesus describes it is so wonderful. He says, it's our father's house. Isn't that awesome? When we go there, we'll be at home. Heaven is home, incorruptible, undefiled, that never fades away, reserved for you and I. I want you to hear this. Listen. The reservation is made. The price has been paid. It's completely secure. And Jesus on the cross gave us the confirmation when he says, it is finished. To tell us die. And he told his men, and he tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, because they were troubled. They were upset. Judas would betray. Peter would deny. The whole group would scatter. They didn't know what in the world was going on. So Jesus is letting them know with, with, with great assurance, hey, you guys, you're going to see some trouble. And they did. And we see trouble every day with our 24-7 multiple news channels, with apps and podcasts and social media. I mean, there, there's no escape from all the trouble that's shaking around the world. Most of the news today is trouble. I think, you know, constantly all of us have these things floating around in our minds and our hearts, the, the constant bombardment of information that we listen to. It's hard to escape. In my father's house, there'll be no trouble. You know, I, I love my house, my home. Lynn and I, uh, we have built four houses in our marriage, lived in six and the one we're living in now, we've lived in for 15 years. And I, I kind of like, I, I like to do landscaping. It, it's, it's therapy for me. So I go out in the yard and I work with plants and, you know, try to get things to grow and, you know, flowers and bushes. And it, it's great therapy because plants, plants don't come at you with weird theological questions. Plants, plants don't have marriage problems. Can I meet with you tomorrow in the backyard? No, no, they don't ever say that. Plants don't ever come to me and say, you know, the music is just too loud. Those lights, it's too weird. I've never had a plant come and say, you know, we're going to move down to the yard down the street because we get fed better there. So, so it's therapy for me. I get to go out there and just kind of forget about everything. But even though I love my house, my home right now, it's got problems. 
I had to replace the roof a couple of years ago. We had a recent problem with the, with the gas and they came and turned it off or something was happening in the city. We, we had some plumbing issues. The hot water heater wasn't, we had to replace. And, and I've got 13 grandkids who come through there like locusts and just clean the place out. <laughs> and, but I love my home. It's great. But I've got an eternal home. That's my true home. It's my real home. You know what? It's my forever home. It's not here on earth. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The the key, the, the, the strategic word right here is that I'm coming for you. Jesus Christ is coming again. Ray talked about this often. Ray talked about this all the time. Ray talked about the coming of the Lord. And you know what? I pray it's in our generation. I pray that you and I are the ones who are alive and remain when Jesus Christ returns. All through the New Testament, every writer talked about it. In Romans chapter 13, verse 12, we, we have this verse. It says, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The reason they said that is because the time is short, that he's coming. In Philippians chapter 4, it's a great verse. We have this verse that says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. The New Testament believers were looking for his coming. They were waiting for him. They they knew that Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. They listened to John's teachings. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, he says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. James 5, verse 8, sprinkled all through the scriptures. We hear this, be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of of the Lord is at hand. Amen? And he says, let not your heart be troubled. It's going to, you're going to, yeah, you're going to have troubles and difficulties here. But the New Testament teaches over and over that Jesus Christ is coming back for his bride. The book of Hebrews says, as a warning, the unbelievers are in bondage and in fear of death. Now, now listen for just a moment. The Lord has given us the understanding that you and I are mortal, that we are frail, that there's death. It's a distinctively human thing that we realize, you know what, one day I could possibly die. That, 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 We think about it. I think it's very unique to humans. I don't think animals think about that, do you? I don't think a cow's out there in the pasture, you know, chewing some cud and a McDonald's truck goes by and he gets all depressed and goes, wow, 
That's going to be me one day. <laughs> or, you know, see an In-N-Out burger sign or bag on the side and the cow just gets all bummed out. But we know death is real. We know the scripture says that life is brief. It's like a morning fog. It appears for a while and then it vanishes away. And God allows us time to prepare. We, we watch ourselves grow older. We, we realize that, that, that you know, we, we aren't going to last forever. I mean, walk into a drugstore. There's these aging creams. I mean, there, there's these, this eye makeup. There's people who get Botox and lifts and tucks and wrinkles and hair loss. And we're dying. And we understand that. We're all aware. None of us thinks, hey, it's, it's a fairy tale. A fiction story. But heaven's real. That's what's so awesome. Heaven is real. And, and it's a great gift of anticipation and expectation and motivation of all the things that trouble us. And all the things that are vague and unsure and we don't know what tomorrow holds, we know that heaven is real. And Jesus says, yeah, there's going to be some bummers in life. There's going to be some trouble. There's going to be some unrest. There's going to be some downers. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And when it comes to the Father's house, he says, to heaven, to the final destination, to your forever home, don't be worried about that. Don't be troubled about that. Don't be uptight about that. You believe in God? He says, trust me as well. If there was no heaven, I would tell you. In my Father's house? Well, listen to what he says. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If, it were not, if this weren't true, I would tell you, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'll go there, and I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know. And the way you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And then Jesus ended like this. And so will we. He said, I'm the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. How do we get to the Father's house? A place without pain, a place without tears, a place without trouble, a place without death? Well, Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And I know that my good friend raised in heaven because Jesus was his way. And Jesus, listen, is coming soon. Amen? Amen? Let's stand together. Lord, I thank you so much that heaven is real. I thank you so much, Lord, that we can come and listen and hear and know that you prepared a place for us and that also you're the way, you're the truth, and you're the life. And one day we'll see you face to face. Lord, bless this church. May your hand be upon 
every pastor, every staff member, and every person who calls Maranatha home. Fill this place with your comfort, your strength, and the power of your spirit. And may we all rejoice together in the fact that heaven is real. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.